0: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Good evening, I'm Paul Edwards, and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I am overjoyed to have as my guest uh, Mr. Anthony, otherwise known as Tony Stevens, and um, we, w- we will be exploring a number of things. So is, is, is your correct... What is your correct title according to ACB, Mr. Tony?
2: It's pretty simple these days. I'm just the director of development, so it's yeah, a shorter director. title than it used to be. Yeah,
1: it, it is. It is a shorter title than it used to be. So let's begin by getting to know a little bit about um, Tony the person. So Tony, where where did you hatch and grow up, and, and when did you become visually impaired? Well, thanks,
2: Paul. And first off, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I, I love listening. It's great to be here. So, hi, everybody listening in around the world. Uh, so, I hatched. I came out of my egg in Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> uh, which I always joke. It, it, my thick Southern accent, people can yeah. tell that that's where I. Uh, I was nested as a young lad. You yes. Uh, and, and you know, yeah. Well, go ahead. Go. No, you go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I was born. Um, my, my mother and father were from Atlanta, and, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting time. It was 1973, sort of, you know, only five years out of Dr. King being assassinated. Atlanta was an interesting melting pot in those days, and, uh, you know, there was a large spirit of sort of that, uh, you know, integration in the city. I was born just on the south side, down by the airport. Uh, folks that have, you know, always say, if, if you're going to hell, you have to transfer in Atlanta. Um, but it was, you know, down by Hartsfield, what's now the, the large Hartsfield Jackson airport. But yeah, so we, uh, you know, we were a small family there, um, and, uh, sort of working class parents never went to college, but, uh, but yeah, so I was born down there and, and about the time I was four, my parents started to realize they were concerned was I delayed perhaps, um, you know, or, or other concerns, uh, cause I just wasn't responding visually. And, uh, after a few concerning visits with a pediatrician Uh, they took me to a pediatric uh, you know ophthalmologist and they realized that I had a a genetic uh, retina condition called x-link retinaschesis so uh, so that kind of uh, was an early diagnosis as a kid uh, to be low vision uh, until I was 15 and then um, and then life life got exciting after that point so things changed significantly in my vision so when I went more you know, uh, essentially blind uh, on, on more of a total level with just some light perception in one eye at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that's where you are now? You still have the light perception?
3: I
2: had, they were able, so that was, I was 15 when that happened. So that was from glaucoma. It killed my good eye. I always had mm-hmm. sort of the bad eye that had the light perception. The glaucoma totally killed one of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And about eight years later, they were able to, to fuss around with it some, and like get just a slithered, like it just, uh, Kind of thing, but uh, it's not really much to, to write home about, you know, and uh, so it's more, uh, you know, it's more of a, a nuisance sometimes than anything in one eye, like a slither in one eye uh, that does me more bad than good. So, so it's, it's you know, I mean, that, so, that gray area, like many, not total not yeah. vision, you know, you're in that you're stuck in that in between sort of.
1: Yeah, I think I was there for the first five years of my life, and then the light perception sort of went away, and I don't even remember it now. So, yeah. so, and 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 of course, then then the glaucoma came along for me, and 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 at that point there was no point in suffering from all the pain and crap. So I now have two artificial eyes. So, the likelihood of my suddenly getting my vision back miraculously is pretty minimal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, miraculous uh-huh. would be attached to anything, I guess, if it were to. I, so yeah,
1: it would. It, it definitely would. So, um, you started out then in in Georgia and and, and went th- presumably through high school there?
2: I did. Yeah. So I I was mainstreamed when I went, you know, went total when I was 15 um lost my sight. You know, there was a, you know, a a, a big concern over would I go to the at the time it was Georgia Academy for the Blind. Mm-hmm. It was the state school in Georgia. And, uh, but my father was, was very persistent and wanted to make sure I was mainstream still. He didn't like the idea of me, which was, was hard. Cause I had a lot of friends. I'd met a lot of friends, uh, you know, just being low vision before. And a lot of them went to the Academy mm-hmm. um, and I was, you know, in that sort of thrown about confusion when I was 15, but, uh, but yeah, they fought, uh, went to court to try to keep me mainstreamed. It was 87 mm-hmm. and, uh, they, uh, you know, the, the County backed down. Uh, from pushing, uh, tr- pushing to not not mainstreaming. they didn't want to. They didn't want to have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we pushed and we won. And uh, so yeah, so I went through high school and just north of Atlanta, a little community uh, called Marietta, which is a suburb of Atlanta. Yeah, was where we were living at that time. Mm-hmm.
1: And college, what happened there?
2: So I uh, I got the the bug bad for journalism in high school, and uh, was working for the school paper and. Uh, I was a, I was music as well. Um, I played in jazz band and did Allstate. Uh, well, I never made it all, all the way to Allstate, but you know I was in uh, right, running All Allstate for anywhere. jazz, yeah, competitions, yeah. and was just really into music. I played uh, bass, mm-hmm. upright bass, and regular bass. Nice. But um, so I I, I I remember very well having this choice. I, I lucked out my senior high school, uh, and and could either choose a music scholarship or a journalism scholarship. And uh, my mother was thinking, oh, music, because she was the artist. She was a musician as well. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up with her, letting me sit on her lap while she played piano. And she had a little band in the '70s. She was a singer for. Her. And um, so you know, so she was nudging towards music, but you know, uh, a kid wanting to try to impress his dad—that constant sort of, uh, you know, yep. father-son. Uh, you know, I went with my father's inklings, which he was thinking journalism was more reputable than a musician. Uh, you know, and and there are many days when I, I question that decision. But you you stick with what you, you stick with. You and, do, uh, and yeah. So I went off to journalism and uh, did graduate and undergraduate and journalism at the University of Georgia, and uh, worked in print for a while, and then radio did did moved eventually into into uh, broadcast uh, journalism back in the nineties,
1: and with with broadcast journalism, did you use Braille a good deal in terms of uh, keeping you above water, or or is Braille not an option for you? I
2: did. I I, I was one of those, you know, I didn't learn Braille until I was 15, and I was like any teenager trying to learn Braille. You know, it's that thing that I wish maybe I would have learned it earlier, um, knowing that eventually I probably would lose my sight. I thought I'd have more of a a runway than I did uh, to that point when I would need Braille. Um, But, you know, I could read Braille, but it was it was a challenge because we didn't really have the facilities for braille at the university of georgia to, to braille right. like my my scripts and things like that um i was working in when i was in radio i was working for a non-commercial station that was part of the university of georgia and uh eventually ended up sort of being the advisor for the station on faculty like a uh, faculty you know like a, a graduate yeah. advisor yep. like when i was in grad school with my fellowship. Mm-hmm. but um but yeah so i uh you know, I would, I would basically have the, uh, an earpiece. I would record everything from like the AP Newswire when I was doing journalism mm-hmm. and stuff like that and basically have like an IFB, like a little earpiece in my ear and just do playback. And uh, sometimes I would try to get it memorized, but if I didn't, I always sort of had just a running cue in my ear that was uh, letting me know the stories and, you know, it would sort of run in the background while I would read live on the air.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So, And uh, a lot of
1: memorization. Tough to do.
2: It is, to and it's a skill that I realized, man, we sure are losing those memorization skills as people who are yeah. blind though later in life. I mean, it is, Yeah, it's crazy to think how well we used to be at like remembering phone numbers and all kinds of information. Yeah. And we're just so spoiled now with having instant information at our fingertips that, um, you know, I would be, uh, be hard pressed probably to still do some of that today.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, I did some, um, Radio programming that I recorded in a little building in, 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 in at the front of my house for the Catholic Church in Trinidad when I after I had Ooh. graduated and started teaching high school, and um, so uh, and and it's and it's very hard to do and and of course editing was great fun with um with reel to reel tape in those
4: yeah, days yeah the too. razor blades and I was still <laughs> oh, yeah. trained on that <laughs> yeah
1: so. After after journalism in broadcasting, uh, did had you already moved north by then, or were you still in the deep south?
2: I was in the I was in the process of moving north. As soon as I finished grad school, I I went through an interesting. You know, my, my father moved to Mexico in the late eighties uh, for AT and T. He was a, a mm-hmm. director of operations for Latin America at the uh-huh. time, and moved to Mexico City and was helping redo their whole Telmex network uh, late 80s and right. early 90s. And so, you know, I got a taste of big city living when I'd go down and visit him in Mexico City, which, which was just mind-blowing for anybody that's ever been there. It's like, you know, third largest city in the world. It tra- it's, you know, two three times the size bigger than New York City. Yeah.
1: And, and um, it, another parallel, when, when, when I graduated from my, with my first degree myself and another guy um, flew over to Western Mexico and then hitchhiked to Mexico city and hung out there for two or three weeks and then went all the way up the West coast. But, but yeah, Mexico city. And, and the other thing that was amazing about Mexico city, and I suppose it was still true when you went is how cheap it is.
2: Oh, it was, it was early nineties and it was just crazy how, yeah, just how, how long you could go on a few dollars in exactly. city. and you know it put things in perspective, but one thing it did do is you know it, it reminded me of uh you know it was a big city, they had their subway, they had little v w Volkswagen bugs, just raise your hand and one would almost run over your foot yeah, <laughs> immediately they were just everywhere, and uh you know I realized that uh, while Atlanta was very much an urban city, you know, we had the 96 Olympic games and I I worked a lot on some broadcast projects with the, you know, sort of regional broadcasters during the games and stuff. And, you know, it was, it was really a transformative time for Atlanta in the nineties. It was significantly growing. They were expanding their subway system, but it was still a town that just for transportation and just for opportunity for someone who was blind. um, You know, I, I began to set my sights elsewhere, as it were, but then it, it actually took a big steer once I finished graduate school in the late '90s, um, and I, I sort of went off on, on a completely different sojourn, if you will. I, I wonder if my wife's listening. She hates when I say that word sojourn, but um, but yeah. So I went off to seminary to become a Catholic priest mm-hmm. and spent seven years. That's what pulled me north uh, in the late '90s. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I went off to Pittsburgh and then time in New York and Chicago and eventually you know seven years of that I realized uh, when you can't get married and it can be a, a, for the most part a lonely life even though you live in community with a bunch of other you know people right. with similar right. passions and desires um, but yeah I, I left the the group I was with at the time called the Jesuits which is a Catholic religious order and moved back to New York uh, which is where I landed for you know uh, where I met my wife and had our first kid and So
1: that's. Mm -hmm. And did you do journalism again there?
2: I did communications. That's what uh, I I did. Some journalism with the Jesuits. I was producing some radio, social justice, public interest radio with the Jesuits and and doing some PR um, communications work. But then when I went to New York, I freelanced for a while. So I was working on just different projects. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, beat journalism, but it was definitely, you know, working on Uh, different media projects and public relations for nonprofits. I kind of got in the nonprofit Mm -hmm. social justice arena. And when I was in New York city, after a couple of years of just trying to freelance, which can be a tough life in New York, you you know, I landed with a communications think tank that focused significantly on social justice issues. Um, And since I had lived in Mexico and with the Jesuits, did a lot of work with refugees and and, uh, on immigration issues when I was with the Jesuits, uh, you know, I sort of took the lead on a, on a number of projects and initiatives uh, with a group called the Opportunity Agenda is their name, but they do communications strategy and uh, capacity building for nonprofits and a lot of social justice, human rights. We were we were working a lot on reframing human rights as a domestic uh, sort of way that we can talk about human rights in the U.S. Because we had so often thought of human rights as, you know, like uh, live aid and amnesty and, uh, you know, aid for Africa in the 80s. and these sort of far-off, you know, issues internationally. But uh, we'd always talked about civil rights in the U.S., but but there was a, a large effort that we were helping steer in conversations around human rights domestically. And when we talk about, you know, security, mobility, equality, uh, you know, it, it's not just in the law and the courts, but that these are, in a sense, rights that we have that are inalienable as our founding, you know, founders said as a nation um, and, that and all humans should you have. Would,
1: did you include disabled people in, 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 in those discussions? At I, that point?
2: I, yeah, I was sort of the, the blind person at the, at the table in these conversations. I mean, I would work a lot with like ACLU or NAACP right. or uh, La Raza, um, right. you know, in a lot of these groups. And, and oftentimes I'd have to raise my hand and, and bring to the table the sort of a disability perspective. Right. But we did, we did do some work, you know um, it, it was, but it, and it still is, I think in a lot of ways, uh, it's gotten more of a, of a recognition now. The Medicare battles we had a few years ago and Medicaid battles a few years ago, right. I think really helped elevate in the human rights and civil rights in this country to, to to understand that, yeah, people with disabilities are part of the larger movement that was born out of the 60s and the 70s and, you know, uh, the rise of, of sort of the civil rights and then more conversations on human rights in our country. But, but I, still, I think there's still issues to to, yeah. to, to wrestle with.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's what I was going to say. I I, th- I I still perceive that there's, uh, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but that there's almost a a jealousy of of people with disabilities and other movements and a and a and a kind of a feeling that that perhaps disabled people have advantages that that other groups seeking human rights don't. Um, so I don't know if you. Agree it's an with interesting
2: that. dilemma. I mean, it it is. You know, human rights, um, you know, I've been thinking of this a lot over the summer uh, because particularly sure. with mental illness and the issues right. that our brothers and sisters in other areas um, that have on, on matters of disability and rights um, and, and the the lack of information people maybe have bringing to the table. Uh, there was the shooting not long ago of the person that the mother called in distress and, you know, because her child was, uh, right. you know having issues and and you know we we, a couple years in North Carolina there was the person who was deaf that that you know was shot by police and Mm -hmm. you know there's always the concern we have as people who are blind in settings towards our own safety as well Um, but it is something that I think uh, you know we and and the 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 gamut the spectrum of disability is so broad it is and even within our own blindness community, it's so broad. I mean, it, it's, you know, a lot of people will see someone with a guide dog, and because maybe they have glasses and they're severe low vision, uh, they still require the dog, but because someone's going to see glasses and be like, oh, you're a fraud, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yep. So, you know, uh, there's misconceptions, uh, I think, that are, that are worn more in our community. Uh, at the right. same time, there are rights and privileges that we have been successful in the past 20 years, I think, when you look at legislation, that yes. has been civil rights oriented. We've been very fortunate. But at the same time, too, we still carry the burden of of financial, you know, significance measuring what exactly our right will be and will we get that right. Our right is still weighed against uh, economy and, and money. Sure. What's something going to cost, which is a very unique part of civil rights. When we have civil and human rights conversations, uh, we get equal access, yes, uh, unless it costs too much. And And you don't see that with too many other marginalized groups where, costs can oftentimes bear a factor into a true sense of equality that we have in society and inclusion.
1: Well, and I, and I think, and I think the other thing that's probably not recognized as much is that, is that people with disabilities are by far the poorest of, of the minority groups that are out there. Oh
2: yes. And we want to talk about systemic barriers uh, and ableism in this country. I mean, right, the whole system is rigged against this. When you right. look at like the cash cliff and social security that we've been fighting for 40 sure. years now, uh, when you look at you know uh, how if you want to keep your your benefits to to give you the mere existence of a of some sort of uh, dignity and and the well being and aids and supports you might need for for profound people with profound uh, more severe disabilities uh, you can't you know they don't even let you have eighty dollars almost it seems like you know you can't have yeah. any money in the bank you're forced into poverty if you want to sort of uh, Play the game of getting a support to make you equal and included in society.
1: Though the, the the new program that 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 you've been selling for the past couple of years has helped that, has it not?
2: In in what way the program
1: for? <laughs> oh, the program the program that allows folks to uh, sequester funds if if they're disabled or oh, relatives. Oh, like the five twenty
2: nine put... yes, fund. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The five twenty nine a accounts. Which yeah, that was another. Again, one of these successes that we had, and we were surprised we got so much support and not much pushback from folks that are always worried about, you know, it was sort of a, a, a bi, it was very much a bipartisan piece of legislation that Senator Casey and, you know, up in, in uh, Pennsylvania helped pass. But right. uh, the 529A accounts where, yeah, we can put money away like a children's uh, college fund and, and apply that money to help us. And that's the sort of sheltered income, uh, right. rev- sheltered assets that we can have. To help us at least get transportation, but it still doesn't. It still creates a huge wealth gap. We we don't get uh, assets like houses and, and right. things of wealth that we can no. pass to our children. Uh, you know, it sort of forces us still in some way into poverty.
1: It does. It does. All right. So from New York, um, you you were you were working in human rights areas um, and got married and had at least one child. And then you moved to (laughs) the Virginia, Maryland area or what happened?
2: Yeah, we realized, we realized, I mean, I realized as a blind guy in New York with a stroller, uh, and and (laughs) no elevators for the subways that man, that can be miserable. Uh, Um, trying to schlep your, your newborn up, (laughs) uh, you know, and it was, he was born in November and it was cold. So yeah, so we, uh, we moved down. My wife's from the D.C. area. She was born in Silver Spring and grew up mm-hmm. just north of the district. And, uh, you know, her her family is proud Washingtonians. Nice. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we came down here, you know, just to be, uh, you know, Washington was exciting. You know, it was 2009, 2010 when we moved down, and uh, there was a lot of, a lot of energy. There were a lot of folks moving down that was sort of in the human rights space in New York City because the mm-hmm. the new administration sort of brought a focus on, on a lot of these issues, and so
1: well, yeah, there was so a, we lot of, a lot of a lot of hope and, for human rights there too.
2: There was, so, yeah, and and it so was just at the beginning of like the you know the convention right. for people for the rights of disabilities was just right. getting started, and uh, you know, so it was uh you know it was we we literally packed everything up, quit both of our jobs, yep. uh, which were good. Good, great jobs uh, in New York, uh, but we kind of had that idea, you know. Yeah, if you can make it here, which we felt like we both did, uh, then you can make it anywhere. So let's move down to, to DC. So
1: nice. So I, I guess I guess one of the one of the questions I have, and it has nothing to do with your your period, but did, were you disappointed by by what came out of the Obama administration or what didn't?
2: Oh, that's a nice loaded question, there, Paul.
1: <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I, um,
2: I, I think in a lot of ways that you know we talk a lot about the web accessibility being one of the big, right, the big issues of the day. Uh, I don't think it's tied to a bomb or tied to anybody. I think it's just the reality of the game. Yeah, that we have to face as people with disabilities is that. Uh, there are powerful fo- lobbying forces in Washington D.C. that, regardless of who you you sort of have sitting at the table, uh, that that espounds you know and and represents uh, some sort of ideology that you might say, yes, this is in our in our camp, right? Right. Uh, there are still powerful forces, and when the local county governments uh, started lobbying hard to the Office of Management and Budget, uh, you know, which is the leading holder of the purse for the federal sure. government around web accessibility, you know, that was one of the big areas, I think, that we left the administration with thinking, you know, there were a lot of wins. Uh, We got some accessibility items, uh, you know, and things passed. The the nice thing about disability, just as a sidebar real quick, is that it has been one of those issues that is very bipartisan. You know, um, the disability, uh, you know, the ADA was passed under Bush. Um, You know, we had the Disability Amendments Act, ADA Amendments Act. That was... That was Bush as well. But, you know, that was a, a Democratic Congress that was, had transitioned right. in 06. And, um, you know, the, the, like going back to the ABLE Act, which is how we get these 529A accounts. Right. Um, you know, we, we've been fortunate that a lot of our issues um, have been bipartisan on a legislative side. And I think of in course, some sense the,
1: there was well, Go ahead. the 10th anniversary of the CVAA. Is this well, one, that was I'm
2: a sure. huge one. Yeah, we're celebrating yeah. that on Thursday. Everybody tune into Facebook Live. 10:30 uh, on Thursday, um, and then we got some. We'll also be calls talking about it. Yeah, we'll be talking we'll about also it also be talking too. about it
1: next week on Tuesday. Topics we're going to have yeah, Joel so, Snyder on. So,
2: you know, so but that was you know Ed Markey and a lot of the right. you know I mean senators and folks like that. Um, that yes, it helps. It helps when maybe parties are aligned and the president's willing to sign things. You know, it's it's those things help. Um, but even right. that was in a sense, you know, there was some bipartisan. Positive energy around. Oh, that. I
1: think there was. Um, I, so yeah, but I—I I, I guess my feeling was that—that I—that I had hoped that the administration and—and and the way it started, it sounded like they would. I'd hoped the administration would have um, taken the lead in proposing more disability-related stuff than they did. But they—it they, seems to me they kind of—they kind of let disability stuff. Lie for the most part.
2: I don't know if I'd say they let it lie. I think I think it. You know that might be a a a conversation that says uh, you know we have. And I only say this because I mean I was lobbying hard in Washington during the Obama administration, and not just on not just on. You know I didn't get into blindness till 2011. You know disability rights. I was doing other you know, immigration, and, and we worked on the Affordable Care Act when I was up in right. New York in 09. Um and, you know, the immigration reform and uh, affirmative action and other issues we were working on. Uh, man, there was, it, it's like, um, you know, when your friend becomes famous, like a Hollywood movie star, and imagine the entire yeah. high school suddenly shows up at your door mm-hmm. asking for, hey, man, nice to see you, congrats. Hey, do you think you might be able to take a minute and you know, help us out on this campaign? <laughs> you know, and I feel like in some ways, it was, there was so much momentum going into the Obama administration. right? But then at the same time, there were so many competing interests of everybody. Because uh, you know, there was sort of an eight year, there wasn't a lot of uh, expansion, a lot of things stalled during the Bush administration yep. um, in a lot of areas that other yeah. concerned marginalized groups were mm-hmm. focused on. And so it was, we just had to be loud. And fortunately, like with the CVAA, we were loud. And and we got some things passed through. You know, we had some successes in Department of Justice with like the the movie theater regulations. Uh, We got the 508 regulations passed. We got the Quiet Car Safety Act passed, which, I mean, you want to argue about a lobbying group. Transportation is is intense to lobby with with transportation. It's It's always good to have the auto industry, to have Michigan and Detroit on your side. It uh, is. helped you in Congress, especially at the time when Yep. You know, one of the leading senators, you know, was a Michigan senator. One of the senior senators in the Senate was from Michigan. So, yep. you know, so we, uh, you know, uh, we, we had our battles, but we came out, I think on top, uh, we, we came out ahead. And and was it, did we get everything we wanted? No. no. But, you know, what's great about, you know, this is it, it moves at the s- two speeds, slow and stop. I feel like sometimes Washington mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, you know, are, are, it's cyclical. And we'll see how things pan out in the next, you know, few months. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, I think there is a momentum, uh, particularly around the COVID nineteen experience, to elevate our causes more. And we are in a very exciting time with ACB in in talking about some of these issues that are really impacting us uh, on the health front, particularly, and the areas of discrimination that we face, the areas of of social isolation and anti inclusion measures that society has taken. Right. Uh, I think we have a very strong platform that is being built up across our movement that, that mm-hmm. my hope is will yield a lot of fruit regardless of how things turn out in a, in a few weeks with the election. I think we're in a very solid built platform that we are working on strengthening up uh, to really sort of, you know, give it another go. You kind of, you know, you, you kind of, it's like playing a long game and, and you, you sometimes you're off in the corner, resting a little, right? Uh, but right. we're in it for the long haul. So,
1: Excellent. So 2011, you got into the blindness field, and I guess you worked, went to work for NIB?
2: I did, yeah. I had When I landed in Washington, I lucked out and got a great job on paper. I'm using little air quotes on paper. Uh, I was running communication, social media for a very large nonprofit association. I won't mention the name. But as soon as I landed there, I realized that the vice president the president I was working under um, were – my superior was not happy at all with me uh, uh-huh. i had, to, had a whole life of people embracing my dis- me as a person with a disability lifting me up and opening doors you know i had i had doors don't get me wrong i had doors shut in my face when i was trying to become a priest you know i had archbishops tell me straight to my face we don't know what to do with you or i had a blind priest once and he was horrible yeah. so we don't want you and yeah. i had doors slammed but for the most part, another one would always reopen and, and, and open up even greater opportunity. Mm-hmm. I landed in Washington, had a great pedigree, uh, got a great job. Uh, you know, we had a newborn baby. And within a few weeks, I realized that person regretted hiring a person who was blind, had no idea what to do with me, um, told other employees that she regretted hiring me, didn't know what to do with, with <sighs> a blind person, uh, would post up. We would have happy hours after work and she would post up signs that would say so you know instead of most people were emailing like hey you know you can send the company email out let's all meet mm-hmm. up on l street at the bar across the street from the office where I was right right by the white house and and she would put up signs that that would that knowing tony couldn't read the signs and and intentionally trying to exclude me and stuff and it was it, i don't know if you've ever had a job where you weren't wanted you know, I feel like what Pete Best must have felt like with the Beatles, you know. Right. Right. But after a while, it just it just grinded. And it got to the point where I'd be standing on that platform taking the Metro home. And you just, you're like, if I didn't have a baby and a wife I loved, I would jump in front of a train. It's just to go through that kind of psychological abuse on the job. So awful. we had one of those classic parting of ways, if you will, that, you know, you go your way, I go mine. And, and it, it was you know, the kind of thing that I, I reflected on, I, I went, my wife, you know, got her license. She's a, a optometrist. So she got her license to practice in DC. It took a little while for her to get her license, but you know, she had come out of maternity with our newborn, our first born son, Oliver. And uh, you know, it was great. Uh, I was like, you know, I just need to recoup and get my brain back together after that, you know, almost year yep. of just horrendous abuse in the job. Abuse, yep. Yeah. And, and I, I ended up getting to know someone who worked at NIB that kind of would just keyed me in. They knew I'd worked in policy and had done, you know, a lot of work in human rights stuff and, and keyed me into the a policy job that opened up there. So I took it mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, commuted down to Alexandria to their offices. And, and uh, it was a great, it was next to a train station, which for me, I've always been a, a public transit, fixed public transit person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, great location and, and good, good people and a good mission. I you know, I remembered very well that that moment in high school where they said, "Okay, well, you can, we'll pay for you to go to college, or you can go work for an industry for the blind." You know, it was this weird type of <laughs> VR back in the day that it was like, you know, you can go this way and 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 live yep. this you know romantic life of you know literature and the arts, and and or you can grind it each day, and and it, it, you know, it, it's a shame that we still you know even VR sometimes I feel like still you know. Struggles in a sense with trying to effectively get people into their right career path and career choice, but you know I realized if I had this experience with all the opportunities I've had in my life and came through a year of of, of just pain yeah. and, and heartbreak, yep. um, what was it like for everybody that didn't have that opportunity? So right, you know I went to NIB with that sort of mindset that this is an excellent opportunity because. I had had friends that went and worked for industries, you know, various industries around the country and up at New York city industries for the blind and right. And uh, you know, in, in, in Georgia and other places and Arkansas. So, you know, I saw it as an opportunity to really, in a sense, uh, try to champion the issue of employment and, and break down what I saw was the biggest employment gap or the biggest barrier to employment was just the attitudes. You know, it wasn't that jobs weren't there but it was the attitudes that, that continue to, you know, sort of force us into, uh, you know, a, a sheltered life of mm-hmm. not much opportunity.
1: Right. So uh, as a person who was there, do, do, you, do you continue to feel that, uh, that NIB, NIB is getting a bad deal in, in terms of the way they're being treated by VR?
2: It's been very disheartening uh, to think, and I say this as a person who, when I left that job, you know, I was like, "Well, how are we going to eat? I got a newborn baby, and uh, you know, uh, I had the best job on paper. I'm perfectly qualified for it, right? Uh, but a, sometimes a job is a job, and you got to feed kids. You yep. got to put food on the table. You just need you just need to to, to get by, and yep. you know, this idea of a uh, uh, you know that there's some grandiose. You know, I think I think VR took a, a very difficult turn." When they when they came down hard on the industries for the blind and saying that we are going to exclude the opportunity and pretend it never existed and not tell people about it, not right. refer people, and right. you know I've met so many people that have had amazing experiences, um, you know, and, and have, have excel. There are CEOs of other nonprofits that are not industry oriented uh, that are that got their start you know, uh, canning and making rooms or doing the basic things. And, and I think it's important to think in our, in our spectrum of opportunities and what we need to do is that for some people, a job is a job and it can, it can, they can spend their whole life and and some of these jobs pay living wages, good benefits, 50% college tuition, you know, and and you're with people that understand you. Um, you know, I totally understand why people are there. Uh, and, and choosing, you know, opportunities in industries and the opportunities that, that can really abide and the career development that NIB funds through the profits. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile model, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, I think it can, you know, we need to, to continue to find and innovate new ways so that that's not the only opportunity. You know, it's a, it's a vital opportunity that for many is a lifeline and for many is a, is a career choice that, that helps sustain them. Uh, gives them what they need through supports and just camaraderie and people that you work with um, but I, I felt like there was this sort of pie in the sky well we're going to do everything else this competitive integrated uh without you know people themselves having worked in the competitive integrated world and knowing look well, it's it's a tough world of and misconceptions and attitudes and
4: oh, you you need to be there you need sure to be there
2: for the whole ride if you're going yeah. if you're only going to fund people there. You got to be out there making a difference, not just yeah. signing off on checks with nonprofit agencies that are trying to place people, only to have them six months later get kicked out of the job or quit, going crazy because yep. it's just been a hell job.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, well, uh, you know, I, I started out being very anti-workshop when I was much younger, and um, I, I was living up in Jacksonville, and and uh, a workshop closed. Um, largely because of pressure from consumer organizations and um, there were six people who 'd been working in that workshop and, and I followed their trajectory after that, and none of those folks ever got another job um, yeah. and and that was the point at which I said, you know we have to we have to we have to rethink how we evaluate uh, the way that uh, what's called sheltered employment operates and and of course the the truth is that that nib at the moment is offering positions that are paying significantly above the minimum wage and really don't resemble the sheltered jobs that that they used to operate with
2: oh no i mean it's, it, are there still a couple of bad apples out there and not even sure. nib agencies but i'm thinking of just other no question. Know, there's, there's always somewhere out there trying to willing to make a buck on weaker people unfortunately yeah. in this world yeah but at yep. the same time, though, it is uh, you know it's a. Uh, it, sometimes, man, people just need a job. You got a kid to feed, yeah, uh, yep. and and yep. and it's uh, you know it just drives people that, like you say, you, they close industries uh, in some towns, and it is yeah. uh, where where is VR for you then? Yeah, you know,
1: nowhere. so. Yeah. <laughs> so now you are back at a c b we're going to we're going to skip over the time you were here before now you're back at a c b and you're development director but but you're you're actually working on all kinds of other activities that I guess relate to development um, so tell me how you see your role as as development director and tell me why that has for instance um involved you in creating things like blogs
2: so i am at the core of if you ask who am i right uh, i'm an advocate uh, i am somebody who passionately you know we didn't really talk about how i got into advocacy you know the right whole, the whole life channel for those that have met me and heard me talk before about you know my father's death in mexico and other things that got me involved It. In why did i want to get into social justice why did i turned down, a, a, I was talking the other day, Ryan Seacrest was at the University of Georgia like a year or two ahead of me, and he went to right. work for a radio station we all wanted to try to work for. And, uh, you know, we all had that idea, image in our head that, oh, maybe we could go be like Ryan Seacrest and go work in the commercial sector and, yeah. you know, and look where he ended up. So, but we, as a, as a, by, by we, I mean sort of those of us who get the bug, we had an expression in the Jesuits, give us a year and we'll ruin your life which is what we would tell okay. to Jesuit kids and their parents that would send their kids to Georgetown or, you know, Boston college. And their kid mm-hmm. wants to join, go off to the Peace Corps when they graduate. And mm-hmm. so we always say, give me your room, your life. You know, I had that bug and, you know, so to the day I die until 15 minutes after I'm dead, uh, I'm an advocate. Uh, right. I, I am fortunate that Eric, you know, extended this opportunity. Uh, Eric Bridges, our executive director at ACB uh, to be the director of development. Cause, cause, the director for development, you know, it's relationships. It's about wanting people to walk with you and, 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 and in that walking with you and being part of, of what you're doing and, and being, you know, they want to, they want to contribute. Uh, mm-hmm. We're so fortunate with the enormous amount of volunteers. You know, we got two volunteers working behind the scenes, making this call go out right now for ACB radio. And we are we do so thankful like Rick and Larry, you know, Hey guys, uh, you know, all yep. the volunteers we have are outstanding uh, but then there's that other level of people out there that, that they might volunteer as well, but they also are, are, are fortunate to have the resources and the willingness to want to try to help in other ways. And, and it's those relationships that I have found in a lot of ways. And, and you know I've been doing nonprofits for almost 30 years, well, over 30 years, since if you count my first college high school job, right. working at summer camp, which was a nonprofit. Yep. But I've been doing this a long time. And I've learned over the years that one of the most exciting things is to build momentum and to build enthusiasm and excitement. And when you do that on a donor level and, and a relationship level, what people want to give, um, you know, I think that that is a great barometric read, you know, uh, of what's going on to let you know you're doing, you're doing something right. And so as an advocate, I'm, you know, and I was executive, the year I took off from ACB, I went to run, I was an executive director for a nonprofit, which was, you know, I got to fundraise in that. And you learn very quickly as an executive director, um, that you know the partnerships you build the collaborations and right. in a lot of ways the people that help sustain you economically with revenue and and as gifts uh, they are they are um, a, a major part of your mission your organization in a sense of uh, they're your champions they're the people that lift that help you know none of us will be where we were if there weren't people that helped pick right. us up and lift us up and with our donors and our our corporate partners and our relationships and our individual donors Like we saw that with the convention this summer. We had such an amazing support of outpouring from all of our sponsors, our individual sponsors, you know, with all the funding. We blew through our our goals, and it's because people were moved, and they wanted to walk with us, and they wanted to help lift us up. Mm -hmm. And it showed in our volunteers, and it showed in 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 the generosity that people gave in opening their wallets as well. So, you know, so as development director, my goal is to let people walk with us. And to build enthusiasm, so that they they want to be a part of something and they want to invest in ACP and where we're going in the future, and that's so, that's you know the, where I sort of envision my job being.
1: So, where does the blog fit in?
2: So the blog fits in with just communications, and you know I'm a communications nerd. Um, you know I ate and drank it in grad school and undergrad, and, and in all my jobs along the way effective advocacy is effective communicating um you know we are an organization of the blind uh, of people who are blind and i think in a lot of ways we need to make sure that the voice of our members is being heard and the blog you know blogs have been around for almost 20 years now the idea of a blog you know an rss right. feed that people can post and you know, I remember like 15 years ago, I'd be at a nonprofit or, you know, working at Jesuits or then when I was at opportunity and even it's like, we got to get a blog, you know, this thing's called blogs and everybody was becoming a blog the way everybody now is becoming a podcaster rewind that 15 (laughs) years. And that was the blog. So it's not like blog is anything new, but I think in our communications model, we have a lot of communication channels. We we reach people in a lot of ways. So we're trying to think, how can we bring people together? How can we bring some of this stuff into, you know, Uh, an intersection, how can you go to, uh, you know, your, your Costco, your kind of store that has everything and get a, 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 a bird's eye perspective of all that's around you. And so the idea of the blog was an intersection where a lot of these points of communication that we have, can we cross post the podcast? Can we cross post ACB radio promotion, the community meetings that have been outstanding that Cindy Hollis has been leading that have just been incredible since COVID broke. Uh, you know, all the great work people are doing, we wanted to make sure we had a place where all that could kind of come together, like a local pub, you know, and we could gather around and that stuff could be present. And at the same time, we wanted to try to get the voices of our members, you know, because since we are of the blind, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, with like the ACB is very unique as a grassroots organization with our board of publications and the ways that we were founded uh, to be a voice, a bottom-up organization. You know, we have to remind ourselves that that's where we come from and that we have to empower the voices of those around us. And the stories are compelling. Uh, you know, from a development perspective, it lets people hear the stories of those people that they're investing in uh, and th- that are being touched and being reached. And what are their experiences like? And so there's that whole idea of this is why the blog, I think, is, is a good thing. So if you go to acbvoices.org, that's our blog. You can subscribe, get email, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. To that end, I also realized, too, back with COVID, started to break in March. This is a unique time. We are at a very, very unique point in our history as a people, not just as a blindness community, but as a, right. as a planet. And right. my hope is this blog can be a time capsule. You know, I still have my first blog post I'll find for 15, 20, you know, like 19 years ago. I'll scope up some stuff. When I was in the Jesuits, I had to use an alias, so there's an alias that's hidden out there. So you know, every now and then I go back, and it's like a time capsule. My hope is in 20 years, maybe even 40 years, This will serve as a reminder as to where are we now? So we're particularly targeting and trying to get stories of what people's life is like in COVID, right? And so it's very important, I think, to have the blog now just to capture the voice of where we are now. We talk about building this platform that we said earlier, that's, that's strong. It's strong on these stories. And so how can we capture those stories that really help amplify and elevate and create a shared experience where people that aren't even blind may read it and be like, you know, this is, this is a powerful story. of someone overcoming adversity but at the same point, it's like, why do I like Shakespeare? But I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a Montague in, in, in Italy, right? Um, I am someone completely different, hundreds of years removed. But yet stories still move to me that are centuries sure. old.
1: So are you, do you believe there's such a thing as uh, an image of blindness that you're trying to project or not?
2: Uh, my, my hope is whatever image is authentic. It doesn't need to be an image that here's, here's the blind, here's the low vision. Uh, it just needs to be authentic. And so I'm not trying to say this is an image that says, you know, uh, this is the blind. Uh, it's, the stories have been very diverse, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, there are things like we focused on guide dogs because it was last September was guide dog month. Uh, I'm in no way saying when we, when we think of things like that, you know, that we're saying everybody that's blind should get a guide dog. Uh, no way talking like that at all because i know everyone is different in their mobility and their needs you know we have white cane safety day coming up you know the white cane is just as important as a guide dog and vice versa sure everybody is different when they're blind all of us come to this from a unique place and we all stand at a different point in time and history and all the experiences you can have two people with the exact same condition right you had glaucoma i had glaucoma but our experiences yeah. are so different because the people that touched us during that point Sure. Uh, the people that lifted us up, some people weren't there to lift people up. Uh, our experience is so different that those stories are, are unique and different. And so my hope is that, you know, if anything, uh, it's not one voice. It's a diverse voice and, and a voice that's authentic.
1: But can, there, can there be authentic voices that are negative and, 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 and that are pitiable? Of course there are.
2: I mean, yeah, hang around a, a uh, a Greyhound station waiting on a bus for a few <laughs> hours and you'll get a lot of stories of people that are hard up and you sure. Know, uh, <laughs> you know, you Bit, can take a, been a bus there, across the country. There, yeah, done so, yeah. yeah. So, you know,
1: we've heard but, all kinds of stories, but, At but the end are, of the day, aren't, aren't there in the blindness community too?
2: There are, but I think in the terms of the blog, my hope is that we can, we can try to, I mean, we want to be authentic we want to be positive as well. I mean, I always quote Van Jones when he was doing green advocacy. Um, You know, he's now doing a lot of commentary stuff, but back in the day, he had a great quote I heard years ago that said, you know, Dr. King said, I never have a complaint. I have a dream. And, and I think in a lot of ways we harm ourselves by complaining. Uh, We try to, you know, we get blog submissions and like we're working on one now for somebody uh, that is a very authentic raw story. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it, it you know, um, I'm not going to say let's all make it Hollywood rose colored, you know, when we work with people to say, Hey, how, how can we help you tell your story? Cause we're here to help as well. Right. Um, but you know, cause not everybody's a writer an author and, and they can tell their stories in any way a, a, a recording or a, you know, a, I think you had submitted some stuff, you know, and, and like an audio podcast, type like recording or uh, yeah. a, a video or writing or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, uh, even a low vision, you know, Monet was visually impaired, you know, so even a painting, if you feel so inclined, Mm -hmm. uh, but just make sure you all tag it. But yeah, so, (laughs) you know, we, though, in that sense, uh, you know, I think just want to encourage people to that, that telling your story in that, that sense, that King, that spirit of King, Dr. King, I think can, 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 can help everybody. We're not here to be a pity party. I'm not out there asking people to give us money because I want you to feel sorry for us. Uh, I, want, I want people to want to be a part and walk with us because they're inspired by us.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's a good point. So is COVID um, affecting the ability of nonprofits to raise funds and to stay afloat?
2: It's been an interesting year. When we, you know, were in April trying to project what life was going to be like uh, not even a month into this, uh, it was, uh, you know... Um, it was it was interesting times. Uh, so, and I have a lot of friends. All, most of my friends work in nonprofits, and it has been hit hard. You know, some nonprofits yep. have closed. Uh, you know, some are going to close because they just won't be able to sustain uh, themselves. You know, they got through this year. We all yep. got the, the you know a lot of us got the, the federal funding that helped, the small business loans that helped, and the grants and things like that. But um, but that money is going to dry up, and it's going to be really tough for a lot of folks next year. And, uh, you know, it's, um it, it's tough times, but at the same time, I feel like, and it's not just with us, but I'm on the board for another nonprofit where we, where we did a, 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 a socially distanced regatta, sailing regatta recently, mm-hmm. and, and reached our goal. And, and there was a lot of nerves and concern, um, but people were finding value. And I, I think in a sense, like what we had with convention that I mentioned earlier, um, right. people want to give. And, you know, the reality is that people that are making over $60,000 right now, they've rebounded a lot better and and can still yes. give as an individual. Uh, right. Corporations are still doing, for the most part, pretty well, depending where you look. I mean, you know, if you look at the airlines or, you know, movie theaters, obviously. Right. But, but there are still some industries that are helping and supporting. So um, are we making adjustments and having to act on the fly? Yes. But at the same time, we have, and I say we in the royal we of uh, me and my counterparts and other nonprofits have been remarkably surprised, uh, but maybe not so much, just a reminder that people, you know, when times are hard, people want to help other people out. And we've been yeah. so fortunate with our members, not just our members, but other people too, all the people that came to the convention that were first timers or new people that, that gave and, and, you know, have become part of our family now. And it's just been, it's been so overwhelming. And so, in that sense, uh, we've been we've been surprisingly optimistic going into you know one of the greatest economic slowdowns since 1929.
1: So right, yeah, it's amazing. Well, I would love I would love to 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 talk with you about this for ever and ever, but I think we should probably pretty soon open it up. So let me ask uh, you one last question, mm-hmm. and while Rick is. Is finding the first folks who we will invite to speak. So the last question is, um, what what do you see um, moving forward as as the primary tools that you're going to use to try to sell ACB to givers?
3: Well,
2: I think the greatest tool in any toolbox of, of a development is. I mean, one we, we we're we're going to be ramping up our stewardship, making sure, and I'll say this Mm -hmm. to everybody out there now that has given on behalf of of, of the bottom of my heart. Thank you. On behalf of Dan, our president, Eric, our executive director. I mean, thanks to all those people that have given to us this year, particularly during these difficult times, particularly when there's so many people out there asking for support. um, And, and when, you know, people are wondering how, how are they going to fare? Um, So, you know, stewardship is a critical part. Donors. So as I am now six months into my job, and we're working at the end of the year towards a large campaign, uh, stewardship is going to be ramped up significantly. And and basically, that's just communication. It's letting people know that this is where their money is being invested. um, And here's the outcomes. and, And thank you very much from the bottom of our heart. A sincere thank you, not a chain letter thank you. But I work very hard to try to phrase things in ways that speaks to everybody. You know, I pride myself in as a communicator, and I hope that that Uh, transcends itself just in in having a chance to talk to people. I've talked already to so many of our sort of larger donors that have given this past year. And it's, it's exciting to find out where they are. And and I ask them all the time, what can we do for you? How can, how can you be, you know, uh, you know, and in that John Kennedy sense as well, what can you do for us as well in a sense of, right. How can we have you walk with us? What can we do to help you walk with us to help you feel part of the group, part of the family, and, and to, to be able to get excited by the things that get us excited. So that's the other thing, in a sense of just communication, is just, you know, how can we tell our story in a way that gets people motivated and gets people excited? We're looking to expand our footprint to the friends of ACB, looking to the, you know, the right. baby boomer generation is where the blindness mostly is, is hinging on now. Diabetes right. is a major issue. We're ramping up our area of focus in diabetes understanding those constraints and conditions and looking towards ways that we can engage. But you know, the brothers, the sisters, the mothers, the fathers, the children, the people that are touched, the friends uh, that that take their friend to the store. How how can we let them know that we are there for your friend, your loved one, your brother, your sister, your mom, your kid, um, that we are a resource, a place where they can go, particularly during these times of social inclusion. But these days will be over hopefully in a year or so of this isolation. Uh, will still be here and and if anything we know our community is stronger now than it has been in years and yep. that community virtually uh we've seen such seen such great benefits and opportunities and ways to engage people that that will continue so i think in some sense it's it's you know letting the words speak for themselves and it's i'm a huge bruce springsteen fan and he has a line in a song jungle land which talks about the heartache of the city but there's a great line at the end he says the poets down here say nothing at all they just stand back and let it all be. And it's such a <laughs> profound line that I think if we just stand back and let it all be, you know, um, you know, obviously I have to do engagement, I have to keep metrics, and I have to, you know, there's a sophistication sure. that we're not at all ignoring. I mean, that's why I get paid, right? Exactly. And there is a science to fundraising. But at the end of it all, you know, we stand back and we let the, the members, uh, the work Cindy's doing, the work that you all are doing on ACB radio and with the podcast mm-hmm. of just let it all be, tell the story, inspire people, move people, and and they'll want to walk with you. They'll want to be part of what you are doing. And I think that's the secret. Excellent.
1: Mr. Rick?
5: Yes, Brian, please.
6: Hey, Brian. Hey there, guys. How are you doing?
1: We are well, sir.
6: Good, good, good. You know, when we talk about uh, being... Genuine, but being positive at the same time that that's a difficult thing for people, I think you know so much of the laws of the land about the rights of people with disabilities is complaint driven yeah no you know the entity doesn't have to prove something. The individual who's being harmed has to prove they're being harmed in some fashion, so I think sometimes that feel of negativity that happens within the blindness community has more to do with um, really feeling that there's nobody listening when there is a justifiable complaint. Part of it, because they don't know how to complain. Let's face it. Some of the websites where you're supposed to lodge your complaints about web accessibility are themselves inaccessible. So there's that going on. But, but again, this walking the narrow line between being, Overly, um, overly, uh, what you call them, uh, rose-colored glasses. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, wanting to project a positive image about blind people, uh, again, is when I am standing at a street corner uh, that I've crossed a thousand times before, and somebody comes up and wants to help me across the street. My reaction to that is it's a teachable moment. I don't need to be helped across the street, but let me show you how a blind person could benefit from you offering them help when they are in a position that they need it, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's, right. that's putting the positive spin on what is not particularly a positive experience. Uh, yeah, Being perceived by the public at large as being uh, less uh, independent than we than we truly are. When it comes to fundraising, uh, Tony, I know that ACB needs fundraising to do what it does, no question about it. I stress though, over what our affiliates are not getting done. I've always been a, a believer that ACB is kind of a confederation, right? ACB, if it had to rely only on its members at large, would fold its tent to tomorrow. It's our affiliated organizations that give ACB its breadth and depth. Mm-hmm. And so many of our affiliates struggle to come up with funding that a lot would allow them to not so much provide service um, as connect people up with the services that are out there. Cost money to do almost anything. Yeah, you got to spend money to make money. It's that great irony. Yeah, yes, yeah. isn't it?
1: Isn't it? So, uh, what? What I hear you asking, Tony, is there anything that that National can do for state and special interest <laughs> affiliates in in terms of in in terms of helping them to be better fundraisers?
6: Yes, and I, I acknowledge there's things like the walk. And right. My affiliate benefited about eighty six hundred dollars because of the walk. And again, my affiliate being the Bay State Council of the Blind. You guys did the well. President's team uh, raised uh, somewhere around nineteen thousand dollars. Yeah, and half mm-hmm. of that went to ACB, and half went. To bay state council. Yeah, you uh, still you still
1: lost though. Florida still beat you, but
6: yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, don't I, get I, me in the like, middle of this
1: one. Don't get me in the middle, want, middle of this. I year.
6: want you to know that that Ryan and Kim, mostly Kim, carried Massachusetts, and excellent. You've got a friend down there in Florida, uh huh, who carries Florida. Yes, he does. Let me just
2: say, on behalf of the national organization, I am so tickled pink by both states. In all of our states that raise money, because we we surpassed a goal that we were not sure we would even reach because of COVID, and it was fantastic. Let me, if I can reply to both those points, I think, because you raised two excellent points, Brian. Um, I'll start with the last one first, in terms of the fundraising and, and helping out. One of the things I loved when I was director of advocacy and governmental affairs was getting a chance to go out to the state affiliates. And getting a chance to meet and speak and inspire people to be advocates, to, to be the voice of the voiceless, which is what advocacy means. Uh, the same way, now that when I left and, and ran a nonprofit for a year, and I got to see a little bit, a slither of what Eric's life is like, but any executive director is like, and you realize how important the money is in, in, in mobilizing and activating and helping keep the lights on. You know, it, there are there are, and it's it's hard, particularly for a lot of our affiliates that are those smaller affiliates. Um, that are so bare bones, that don't have staff. At the same time, those yep. that do have like a staff, that's a huge stress to try to think you want to keep a, a, an employee or staff or someone in, in a state office that can be there all the time for people when they need it. You know, my hope is that, and it pained me that I started in March and two weeks not even into the job, the world shut down. Because I love mm-hmm. state conventions and I, I encourage, hey, you all, I'm cheap now because you don't have, you know, we're not flying uh i've got a couple coming up i think i got michigan i got kentucky um you know there was one uh, maybe another one from up late um you know we are here i'm here to support you because you mentioned like the walk mms the monthly monetary support people can also single out you know contributions to go to other state so there's things we're doing already that can really help states get engaged i think you know Gene uh, and George our chairs for the MMS committee have been doing a great job of trying to go to state conventions and let people know hey you know sp- help spread the word about MMS cuz half can come to you and half comes to the national uh, the same with the walk um, but there's other ways too that we are here to try to help support you I was working with one of the another affiliate recently affiliate president, special interest affiliate to talk about fundraising and are there ways to get grants are there ways to do corporate and and we are here to help sort of pull back the curtain, if you will. I mean, the nice thing about having a full-time development director now is we, you know, while we have been extremely busy, because there's a lot of other things communication related on my plate now, my goal is that now that I've got my c is that we can begin to also provide that support to affiliates because your success is our success. We have some, some audacious goals of raising membership and uh, across the board in and affiliates and, and having affiliates in every state. And, you know, the area of, of where we're, envisioning ACB in five years, uh, we need, you know, the affiliates most definitely. And so whatever we can try to do to empower you, not just as advocacy, like what I was doing before, but whatever I can do to help empower states and we can give resources or or guidance, um, or even open doors for people, you know, uh, let us know, but we're not going to know unless you reach out to us. So feel free to reach out. It's a Stevens, S T E P H at ACB.org for our affiliate leaders. Um, I went in and, you know, did a thing on nonprofit sort of, you know, we did one of the Cindy's Wednesday happy hours with affiliate presidents. I'd love to do some more of those uh, to really talk about things that presidents can do to be more conscientious of fundraising. Um, So my hope is that people will know that the national office very much wants to, to see the affiliates succeed and not just in the work they do with advocacy and the great work, like with voting rights with so many state affiliates we've had success with this year, but also to just run in the back end and, and how can we help do capacity building so that you can become a sustainable organization? Cause it helps, it helps everybody. And most importantly, it's, it's helping people, you know, that are, that are literally the grassroots community people that we don't get to hear about unless they call us on a national level. Right. Um, or reach out to our office, but you know, there's so many people that you can touch. Uh, I had a call today, uh, from someone from Virginia that, that was put in touch with me that, that is has significantly lost his vision recently, moved back to the Virginia area. Uh, and he's just trying to figure out what it's, you know, who can he meet in the community that, that is ahead of the curve. And, you know, those affiliates, you all are the ones with that power and potential, so you know, help. Let us help you with membership if we can. You know, with the work Cindy's doing, and uh, you know, uh, and and as well with the fundraising. So we're here for that. In terms of the 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 complaint, you know, I think if yeah, the Rolling Stones were blind, what was that song? You can't always get what you want. Can't always get. But if it, you, yep. yeah, if you try, sometimes you get what you need. Uh, I feel like there should be <laughs> if they were blind, they'd be like, you get what you need if you complain about it enough. You know, um, and and we always joke, uh, Eric Eric and I, by well, we. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say always, but we have (laughs) joked that we, uh, you know, our personal experiences growing up, uh, you know, sometimes you got to complain, but sometimes you don't want to complain because you're afraid they're not going to help you. You know, if you whine too much, the person's not going to, you're going to stop giving you a ride to the grocery store or something like that, you know? So it's, we, as people who are blind, sometimes don't complain enough. Uh, We got to complain more. Uh, But at the same point, how do we complain in a way of of, uh, of making it, you know, the complaint that's a defensive mood move versus an offensive mood, right? And that's, you know, these are sort of advocacy questions on a larger scale. Um, I think in terms of our fundraising and our support, uh, you know, we definitely let folks know that we're, you know, we're not hiding from any of the complaints like around the currency case that we've been complaining for 12 years, the government get off your laurels and do this, uh, you know? Uh, in terms of accessible currency for 12 years now, we're still not there and they're still pushing on us, you know, but as it stands in other areas though, I think, you know, we need to take the offensive. We, we will be, we will be left. And this is the preacher in me talking, the advocate, right. Uh, You know, that, that happens to be a development director, but we need to take the offense. We need to take control of our lives and empower ourselves. And, and that, that moves our posturing from a defensive complaining Do an offensive pushing forward. And yes, there are things that we need to drive and things we need to raise awareness on that are significant issues. Um, But at the same point, I think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, we can do that in in a tone that is optimistic, uh, not in a tone that is, um, you know, that just turns people away. Because who wants to be at a party with the person that just (laughs) brings
1: the whole room down? That just pitches, right? Yeah. Very good. All right, Mr. Rick.
5: Yeah, we want to be someplace, though, where the Bruce Springsteen music is blaring, though.
2: <laughs> Unless it's Nebraska. That makes me just sad.
1: <laughs> I, I I
5: love Not that album. Not the state I,
1: Nebraska. The album, Nebraska.
5: Yeah, the I album, stayed. Nebraska. I,
1: I, love I love that album. It's Omaha. my favorite Springsteen album, so. Yeah. They, they, they <laughs> love. So the one about Atlantic City. I love that song.
5: Yeah. Bruce has got a new album coming out. I don't know if it's out yet, but it's coming out this month. Sometime. I can't wait. Yeah, John McCann plays
3: hey john Hello, folks hey how
5: goes
1: it, mr, uh, mr. mccann yes glad to from be arizona
3: yeah that would be true tucson uh follow these past hmm, about five years and three and a half months give or take no, more like four actually but be that all as it may um just uh first of all tony thanks for all the great stuff you do uh and did uh, in your previous capacity. I may be talking a little more about that than the fundraising, but uh, still doing wonderful things for us. And I'm so glad that ACB was able to turn its finances around to the point where it could hire two badly needed staff members, one for membership and one uh, for full-time. I know Tom Tobin had been handling it on a contract basis and doing quite Mm -hmm. well, but better, I think we all recognize it's best to have someone in-house. And we now have that, but I want to circle back. To something that you had said, and well, I was prompted by a question that Paul had, had asked you about, you know, the Obama administration, and um, you know, I we achieved some good things the Obama administration. There's no question about that. Uh, not coincidentally, I think the major things that we achieved were in 2009, 2010. I guess that would have been the 110th Congress. Sure. Um, but uh, which was uh, all Democratic, I mean, Democratic Senate, Democratic um, House and, of course, the Democratic president in Obama. The fact of the matter is that's when we got the um, uh, Quiet Cars Act. I'm, it has another name, but I can't remember it. But, you know, the legislation yep. mandating that cars make noise. And, of mm-hmm. course, the C, uh, CVAA, you know, about which I wrote a kind of cool song. But um, um, someone referenced
2: that today. I got to hear that song.
3: Oh, okay. I'll get it to you. Yeah. Email to me. Email to me. Okay. I'll I'll definitely get it to you. But the one thing that I will always remain uh, disappointed in uh, was – that and Obama could have fixed this with a three sentence letter to the head of the Justice Department or whoever. Say, I want five hundred eight regs out, and I want them out within the next ninety days or one hundred and twenty. And I'm going to check with you on day ninety-one or one twenty-one as a day, m- as the case may be. And if they're not, I you better be prepared to give me a damn good reason why. Uh, I'm going to say something that might be politically uh, dicey here, but I'm not running for anything in the foreseeable future, so I'll just say it with all due respect to ACB's advocacy. I think ADP has been a little bit misprioritized. I think 508 and the accessible web is definitely something that should be pushed hard on. And God willing, I mean, again, not to be overtly political, but in or around July July 17th, uh, something was put out in the current of, of 2017, something was put out by the current administration saying that for every reg that was passed, two had to be abolished. And we were told in no uncertain terms uh, we understood that 508 wasn't going anywhere in the current administration. So um, I'll just put my plug in. I'm, I mean, I think the employability of blind people hinges on it. Yeah, you know, it, it's There's going to come a time when if you don't have access to the web and effective access to a computer, the only thing you'll be able to do is make light bulbs, and I'm not knocking that as a form of employment for whom it is appropriate you know, even the light bulb machines are probably going to be computer controlled. Okay. <laughs> Mr.
1: Tony comments.
2: Our light bulbs are computer controlled in our house already. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh, I was talking about their <laughs> and they're going to last. Their they're gonna, <laughs> no, but they, well, the problem is they're going to last for 20 years. So there's not a lot of business for people in light bulbs. If you're making light bulbs, to last oh, that's twenty true years. Too it's, forgot about yeah. that. It goes back Guess to we'll the washing room. machines of the 1920s that were invented that,
3: well, the depression, if we so. have, uh, you know everyone has a yeah, room but we won't need
2: well you know when Obama left one of the biggest issues he talked about that was the, the fear in his horizon what's the biggest thing he was concerned about he said automation and it's it's something that we really haven't had a conversation on too much in terms of um you know in, in recent years and and with with COVID and the workforce i mean that you know automation is not uh you know it has come up in other ways right people are safer if we automate you know uh, if you know uh, but uh, in some sense as well though it's still the job attached to it you know our economy our world is changing um, I hear you uh, in terms John of of talking about the, the issue with web and accessibility I will say there's a few different nuances in that you know we've had great success with ADP but that's under the FCC and the FCC has been real clear in saying you know hey all this other stuff doesn't apply to us they're sort of like Pontius Pilot washing their hands and saying, yeah. you know Everything in the way, and it's been hard because even within FCC meetings where we have experts at the table, because I'm on the Disability Advisory Committee for the FCC, you know, we still have conversations where we go, no, no, that doesn't apply to this. this. This is, you know, the CVA was fantastic. Now, what the CVA did do, which I think was incredible, was that it got us, like, you know, where TalkBack is with Android. And to make sure that Apple is sticking with voiceover because Apple, you know, voiceover came out before the CVA on the iPhone. That's true. Yeah, But right. but we are, you know, with the tablets and, and particularly like with my kids in school right now, uh, you know, and that technology and, and as the world becomes more mobile, um, mm-hmm. you know, where more classes are done on tablets now than Chromebooks even in a lot of ways with kids in school right now around the world. Right. Um, you know, I think it, the question is, okay, are these are these paths going to intersect more and become a larger highway that's more, you know, allows us more greater access, right? Uh, are, 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 you know, are these off-ramps or these on-ramps that will take us down roads of inaccessibility or not? Um, the, the whole world is still, in some sense, changing um, around the way that we access technology um, to where I hardly use a computer. I'm on a mobile device more managing emails and doing all these things. Um, and there are things with the CVA sure. with two-way communications, we have had great significant strides with um, yes. in leveraging uh, the CVA towards two-way communications and accessibility. Um, and, and that helps us a lot. But at the end of the day, uh, we got to have, and you're right, and putting the heat on Department of Justice, John. Uh, and my hope is it, in whatever comes in the future, we can continue to do that um, to try to get, you know, we, we, we have to tackle the lobbying efforts of the small business governments that are going to cry, uh, poor pitiful us, we and it's going to believe me. It's going to get louder now because heaven knows they have no revenue coming in right now. These local governments with COVID, uh, so they're going to cry even louder now. If we were to try to do something now, you know they'll they'll yell even louder. And I think it's important for us to think of and, and look. I, my job is not to set the advocacy priorities for the organization, yeah, I but I can say I in terms of our relationships that we have. You know, ADP gets some press because the relationships we've made through the FCC are such solid relationships. When you look at our relationship with Comcast and Tom Lakowski, you know, we're going to have an industry panel um, Thursday night. And I think it's an excellent example of how can we create similar relationships in the web space. We have great web partners. I mean, Mm -hmm. Apple is obviously in the web. Google's in the web. You know, we have great Microsoft. We have these great partners, but how can we position partners in such a way to help give us enough momentum so that we can combat the anti-accessibility, the the dominoes, right? The the dominoes v. Robles case. Uh-huh. That even though you know we'll spend more money in legal mm-hmm. fees right. to make a point than we will in fixing. You know, we we could have fixed our website and Pizza Hut and Little Caesars website and Papa John's website as well. You know, in the money we spend in legal fees doing the v- Dominoes v. Robles. So how can we in these in these cases? And the courts have been. You know, I was glad that the Supreme Court remanded that Domino's we case. Oh yeah, I wouldn't have. Uh, I wouldn't have trusted
3: them one bit. I yeah, I know. So, so that, that was a victory. That was yeah, a that was a
2: victory. So, but I think the know, case... We, we have to. But, I, I think, but you're but you're still
1: not speaking to, to, to McCann's reference to 508, Tony, and, and you know you can generalize. Web well, 508 you know,
2: is you fine. know, but I've 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 dealt with you know 508 is in terms of that's the muscle for the federal government you know and right. contractors and we i have i have wrestled what are clear 508 violations and this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, Paul. I wrestle right. with, when I was doing advocacy before, John, you know, with EEOC uh, judges, right? A, you know, uh, you know um, on, yeah. on behalf of people who are blind that weren't even members of ACB but, but would reach out to us yeah. and have issues or our own members. Yeah, and, I, you know, the work that, like, Chris Bell and others have done in the EEOC space, uh, you know, right. you can have a clear-cut 508 violation and at the end of the day, they raise their hand and they say one thing, cost too much. It costs too much, and we're back at where we started with as long as we have a civil right that hinges on how much something costs, we're, 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 we're in a predicament. So we need to move will. I feel like the only way we can really change that is by moving the will of the people. And, you and might that's be right. where you know, we've had success with the FCC with industry support. And my hope is that as we take an offense, we focus on public perception. And the public, and, and you know that when I when I was working for the social justice group in New York City, we we worked on the Affordable Care Act and and really focused on human rights as a as a human right, for, you know, healthcare as a human right. right, and and it wasn't until we started to move the needle on the messaging and communications work we were doing with a lot of the other human rights groups here domestically in the U.S. that needle began to change. The public will begin to change, and lo and behold. Um, political perceptions on it began to change, and, and that, that led the way to the Affordable Care Act. Now, was it the perfect act? No. You know, I know there's a lot it of complaints is, and know. issues with it, but it's, but I think it showed in a sense that you can move public perception on issues that otherwise we may sit here thinking, you know, you know we're mm-hmm. stuck to the machine. You know, that may be hard to do machine.
3: because we're a minority. That's the problem. But and one thing, and, and you've given a very edifying response, and, 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 and I, I really do appreciate it. The only thing I'll come back to, circulate back to, with the Robles case, you know, um, I think a credible stat was put forward that it would take them $38,000. I mean, the, they're going to fudge the numbers. They would said it was going to cost millions of dollars. I think that was incredible. Yeah, yeah, and was, somebody yeah. said it would take $38,000 for them to have made their site accessible. And I humbly submit or or perhaps a lot less than humbly submit that, I, I don't know, I haven't looked at Domino's balance sheet, okay? Let, let's say $10 million, would that be, you know? reasonable Let, let's even say five million I'm, you can even say one million if you're prepared and not you personally if anyone's prepared to tell me that an expenditure of thirty eight thousand dollars constitutes an undue burden with a corporation that has a bottom line of one million i again i submit to you that the whole idea of undue burden is a, it's a sham it's a it's a joke yeah
1: but yeah. i guess we have to ask ourselves another question namely, um, and 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 i'm and and i'm really going to going to ask tony this question Uh, are, are disability issues in general um in danger of being less tenable because of the degree to which um conservatives are being appointed in courts left right center up and down
2: that that is a that is a very complex question to say because you know interpretation of law uh, and and perhaps where someone may lay on a compass of morality. I mean, you know, the, the uh, right. is, do not always line up. I mean, we've seen that with Chief no. Justice Roberts, where he has sided multiple times. That that is uh, correct. With with those, you wouldn't have thought he would have sided with. Um, right. I think at the end of the day, and uh, you know, I say this in pride of uh, you know, uh, sort of Catholic education as a, as a recovering Catholic, and uh, but you know, in, in a sense of. <laughs> You know, where people may say, well, this person falls on this side of ideology or not, uh, you know, just because a judge may be seen as conservative uh, doesn't mean that they're, they're going to crush your, your dreams and your goals. I mean, it, it's, it, it is a very uh, calculated, John, as you know, probably better than anybody from a legal standpoint. You know, there, there's so much calculation that goes on in this and, and so much things that are. Yeah, there's <laughs> You know, there are political yeah, considerations,
3: so, no matter what the heck they say there are. Yeah. I, I think robert spent more to the, you know, leaned a little more liberal than I ever expected to based straight yeah, up on. He wants the court so, to be seen as legitimate and he knows. So I, right.
2: In that know. sense, I can't do a crystal ball with the courts. Yeah, um, uh, you but, know, but I, I do know I, that obviously we have some judges. I'm that are clear jump in. champions. We are clear yeah, I, I wasn't thinking
1: t- just of the Supreme Court. I, you know, I.
2: No, I'm, ta- that, and that's what I'm talking about but, the appellate courts. Like when I think of districts right. where cases come up, you know, there are judges that we know we would love to see you get the same way that when right. we got the
1: Domino's judge, it was like, ugh, you know, we knew that judge from right. other areas. And, so. Right. Well, we, we'll we'll have to see, yeah. John. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, John. Good to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Who have we got, Mr. Rick?
5: Yeah, Jamaica Miller, please.
1: Can we put Chandler. everybody to sleep with legal talk? Hello. If yeah, we did. Hi, Jamaica.
7: This is Jamaica, and I'm from Athens, Georgia. And my question, oh, yay, go dogs! My, my 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 question is about the um about fundraising. Is it mm-hmm. is it is it okay to send checks for for some for some? For, for for fundraising because that's the only way I'm able to 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 send money to you to you all and I really really love your love ACB a lot. And so I'm just having a Jamaica
1: Jamaica is one of our newer members and she's been on so Welcome many Jamaica, calls yeah. that I've been on and well, and and always has really good things to say. But I I bet Tony will take your check.
2: We will take any any form, but you know what's most important is is your time as well, Jamaica. And so, if it's giving time in communities and it's the volunteers, um, I mean, yeah, we, we always love uh, when people are, that are able to give can give financially. Um, but giving time is just as important. You know, time is money as well. Um, and Jamaica so, does that. So for even people that that can't give financially, give give time and and help spread the word, tell others about us, but. But first off, thank you for, for a willingness to want to give financially. Um, and yeah, you know, our Minneapolis office or our Alexandria office, we have our addresses um, that we can share and, and people can get to you. And, and we accept those um, uh, and, and are very fortunate. And, and you have to please uh, send my regards to the grit on Prince Avenue because that is hands down one of my favorite restaurants in the world. I was <laughs> a vegetarian for 10 years. And I, I, I miss Athens so many times. And the reason I met my wife, who's an optometrist, wasn't because of my eyes, but she had a copy of the Grit Cookbook and cooked for me in New York City and Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> some recipes from the Grit, and I, I love Athens. So please, in my regards to Prince I, Avenue, I
7: will, I will definitely do that. Just as soon as we, can, just as soon as I can. But right now, I am, I'm, I am stuck in the house you know I'm i know not,
2: even if you're close you're so much closer to me just I'm wave just go out to your window and just wave and i'll know that somewhere <laughs> someone near the grit um knows and, and I, I hope you're safe and well in yeah. Athens. and okay. are you a student at the university or are you involved I, in the I, city locally or
7: i i am not i'm actually i'm i'm the i am a member of the Council of the Blind here in Athens, oh, but I'm also the beautiful. second vice president of the whole state of Georgia. So, oh
6: wow!
2: Um, well, I'm 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 going to oh, yeah. get excited so, to be on the Georgia Council uh, convention. I saw the email go out today for the convention, and I saw. I can't that wait too. to hopefully get a chance to meet someday. I came into the council through the Athens little chapter there in the '90s when I was in college at the university, which is why I asked because it was there were a number of us that were students at the university that joined Athens, and that's how I came into ACB and. I kind of took a detour, as I mentioned earlier, for a number of years. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's fabulous. We're glad you're back. Thank you, well, Mr. so nice Rica. to meet you, Jamaica. Yeah.
7: Thank you. Yeah,
2: and send my regards to Athens. I will. <laughs> Mr. Rick?
5: Tony, do we take cryptocurrency, too?
2: You know, we will take anything. In fact, I, I actually <laughs> talked with a cryptocurrency uh, charity overseas, but they they were linked to an interesting organization I won't mention on the air <laughs> um, that that made me scratch my head. Uh, but yeah, we've been even cryptocurrency.
1: Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know. the only way the only way you can can order cigarettes online is using cryptocurrency, which is interesting.
5: Interesting. interesting. Yeah. Peter plays.
1: Yeah. Hi. Here. Can you all can you all hear me?
5: Yeah, Peter.
2: From
0: Missouri. From Missouri. And uh, first, Tony, I'm really grateful for the work you're doing. Um, Thank you, Peter. um, And and I want to sort of – there are two things I want to do with this, my time. The first thing is I'm really grateful you're talking about uh, assisting states to do stuff because I think more and more advocacy is going to be local and state. Um, I think that's the direction we as a country are headed All
2: politics I also, is local.
0: Yeah, I, and I, I think that's more, more true now than it was 20 years ago. Uh, and I think, we, you know, I, the, the more we can do to support state and local chapters and affiliates, I think it really is going to be really, really important. Uh, the, uh, the other thing I just want to say is I think the importance of working with coalitions is going to be more important as well. I, you know, I, I am less optimistic than you are about the court's um, I think we're we're going down where we're going to be. Of course, we are going to be less helpful to us, and we need to work with others to get to get what we need. Uh, and I think that's businesses. I think it's local governments. I think it's nonprofits. And I, there are dangers with that, um, but I think that's going to be yeah. a shot in in the, in the in the in the in the short term, maybe the long term, uh, especially with things changing so fast as we've talked about and people. Uh, local people, smaller organizations are more nimble than larger. I know that. Um, smaller organizations are, are are more nimble than larger organizations. And I think that's how things are going to probably get done uh, in, in at least for a while. What I also want to do is I want to tag onto the the, the, the new storytelling site you were talking about. We on the employment committee have just started a podcast series where we're going to be interviewing people, who are in sort of what we call non-traditional um, employment. In other words, not working for disability organizations or voc rehab. And not that we don't value those things, but we believe that there are so many opportunities out there that um, folks are just unaware of that other blind folks have done. So we are going to be doing a monthly podcast, uh, two interviews per podcast. We did, we just did our first one and we really hope that, um, that when these come out, that they'll be publicized. That maybe ACB Radio will find a way to broadcast them. Um, I think this is something that's really important that folks understand that there are other ways of doing work that, that aren't, you know, vogue rehab. And nothing wrong with vogue rehab or, or disability stuff. Um, so we hope that you, um, we, you know, as they come out, we'll publicize them. We'll do our best. So, Peter,
1: um, yeah. are, are are you putting stuff on on ACB Voices?
0: We don't know what we're doing yet, and we don't know what our options are. Well, well I'm, no, I'm not talking about the Employment
1: Committee. I'm talking about Peter Altschul.
0: Uh No, I'm not, actually. Um, and part of the – I mean, Paul, you know the blogs I write.
1: I don't, I don't know if – um, I do know the blogs you write.
0: But most of the blogs I write aren't personal. They are uh, – I deal with – I'm more interested these days in writing about sort of non-blindness issues. Eh. So, um, you know, just, that's just where I'm headed
1: right eh. now. So I I think, just, I'm not sure that my, my stuff fits on your site. Um, I, I, think, I, think, I think you could make it fit if you wanted to, and I, and I hope you will because you've got so much talent as a writer.
0: Well, thank you uh, for, the, for, the, for the kind words. Um, so those are the two things I just wanted to say. I, we, we hope that this employment podcast really does some valuable stuff for, for lots of people, and we hope that ACB will figure out you know, that as we get these out that they'll be uh, uh, publicized, And so, folks will be aware of them, and we hope that AC Radio will will broadcast them as well. Well,
1: Very good. That's all, Mr. Tony. Any 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 comments on any of what Peter said, or shall we move on?
2: No, I'm. You know, I just say keep keep doing it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thank you. Thanks thanks, Peter. Thank you,
5: Mm -hmm. Mr. Yeah, Penny. Your turn.
8: Hey, hi, Tony. hi! Hey, I'm so glad you're back. I missed you when you were gone, and uh, I, I love the humanity you bring to the job of fundraising. That The two don't always go together, you know. Um, I just uh, was thinking about what you said about, I mean, you and I are on the same page as far as communication goes. Um, I think the Braille Forum kind of communicates for ACB among our members and members and leaders and back and forth. Uh, But we really do need something like the blog to communicate with the rest of the world. And telling our stories is the way to do it. Um, But how are you going to bring visibility to the blog? How are you going to make it somewhere where people who need to see it will be coming? That was my main question. And I just want to say to um, Jamaica from Georgia that about 20 years ago, I went to a Georgia Council of the Blind convention, and it was the most fun and the reason, one of the reasons it was the most fun was because of the president, whose name was Jack, in order to raise <sighs> money, tap danced on top of the table and would not stop top dan- tap dancing until people stopped giving him money. And that was, I still remember it was so fun. So anyway, thank you, Tony. I'm so glad you're back. And thanks, Paul, for having Tony on.
2: Thank you, uh, Penny. It's always it's always good to hear your voice. For a second, there I got cut out on this end. And uh, what was the question again, Paul? I'm sorry, Penny. But
1: so re- really, what what Penny was interested in finding out is how are you going to drive the people who need to see ACB voices right. to our site?
2: So you know, our, our hope is that we you know we sort of did a soft launch in July. Yeah, And then ramped it up in, in April. Our goal is to get, you know, a pretty good collection and, and, and selection of quality and, and media and things to share with people. Um, by that point, I mean, blogs, success, successful blogs are what grow organically, right? It's not, right. you know, it's not like every, every corporation did a blog and pushed it out and, you okay. know, their partners are the people that, that wanted to be, follow you know wanted to know that they're following you you know it's like uh, they want to be seen right those, are, the, those right. are going to be your people that follow you um, the, the key is how can we get these stories out organically through other ways right the blog is sort of the, the platform um, uh-huh. how do we amplify that platform and that, that my hope can come through uh, some of the stories uh, that are more profound uh, that we can share uh, that we can, we can take to different places and, and get people engaged that we can encourage people to share you know i think when it grows virally and that's much more of an organic uh, way it, it's not always super fast right um, no. at the same time you can get something that like the ice bucket challenge that suddenly your nonprofit is the most well-known profit in the entire <laughs> united states <laughs> that would be nice if so someone forced it yeah so them. and everyone's always like how can we i remember when that happened everyone was like how could we do that you know they were hiring <laughs> consultants left and right paying a lot of money on How can we get the next ice bucket jacket? What if we did a bobbing for apples challenge or what if we did a, you know, all this other stuff. And so, you know, it's kind of the way to do it soundly. uh, It's the same way that we've grown our social media. You know, our our Facebook community grew to over a thousand within a couple of months uh, because there was a demand. Um, You know, how can we sort of create a demand for people to want to hear the stories, to want to connect um, but you know, Facebook took a lot, our larger Facebook, which has over 5,000 people that didn't happen in a month. You know, we didn't get okay. to a thousand people in a month when we first went on Facebook. That, that right. took a little more time. So it's, uh, you know, uh, when you take stories that resonate to people and even if they're stories that might be different experiences, but there's something in that story that resonates with them, then you begin to reach people outside your circle and outside the, the old proverbial, you're just preaching to the choir.
8: So my hope is that, you
2: know, different stories, we'll get enough stories on this blog
1: that something's going to resonate
2: with someone else on some level. So that's the hope. Okay.
8: Thanks. I I appreciate it.
1: I think I hear you saying, Tony, though, that that you also reserve the right to take a, a particularly intriguing situation that comes up on that blog and, and, and removing it from from, from the blog into in, into something you'll act on or, or, or utilize, yes?
2: Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, it, the blog brings together content um, right. from other areas. It's, it's meant to be sort of an intersection point for our communications. Right. But at the same time, uh, you know, something that can be on the blog can, can can be pushed out in other areas. Like we're working on something now uh, that, that will potentially, you know, help us, you know, I'd like to really see our Facebook community grow. I know, or not Facebook, I'm sorry, YouTube, our YouTube channel grows significantly. Right. Uh, you know, we only got a few hundred followers now on YouTube, but I think it's an excellent way to reach people that are new audiences. And so what can we think of in stories and compelling things, uh, that maybe are more video focused that we can get these stories posted on the blog, but then know that sort of the end channel for that communication could be, uh, a targeted audience that we can reach through, uh, a communication channel that that, you know, will reach that audience where I mean, I've got all the metrics on people of this age group are going to be watching Facebook or going to be watching YouTube and, you know, people that are more likely to have diabetes will be pursuing this, uh, you know, social media network more right. than this social media network. And so, you know, uh, you know, in that sense, as we're seeding things in the blog, like we're working on a podcast series for November, which is International Diabetic Awareness Month, um, you know, <clears throat> that'll be a podcast that we'll put, we'll put on the blog because it's separate and apart from ACB advocacy update. But my hope is we can share that on YouTube. We can share that on Facebook uh, to just kind of help get the word out and, and, and tag or get people that are on those other channels to to like it or share it or comment on it or invite people to speak on things that are of interest. And, and, you know, that's kind of how you, that's how social networking works, right? You just, you kind of build those relationships organically online um, and, and for us, that blog, at least is a nice place we can always kind of come back to. It's a comfy couch, maybe a beanbag, you know, it's not super fancy, uh, you know, but it's got your favorite movies on it. You can sit down and relax and you don't mind having friends over to kind of, you know, share,
1: you know, you nice. don't mind
2: sharing what's on it. So that's how I think of the blog in some ways.
1: Nice. Mr. Rick.
5: Paul, we don't have any more hands, but folks, if you want to join in, uh alt y if you're on a computer star nine on a telephone and if you're on an iphone or an android app there's a raise hand button um in the middle so please go ahead so I'll let you know if any pop up paul thank you so thanks but
1: let, let me ask uh, essentially um about what we're what we're working towards um In in the long run, with these communication meetings that we've been having over the last little while, are you able to talk much about what some of the results of those are?
2: So we've been very fortunate that we've been looking at sort of an environmental scan of our communications, undergoing some strategic communications, you know, to help better tell our story. Uh, You know, folks, this is something we want to do for a while. It's been great that I've come on as a as a people that have heard me talk in the past know how passionate I am about storytelling. Um, And so, you know, our narrative and our conversation and all those things that you talk about in sophisticated communications uh, for any organization, you know, we have to think of it through that lens sometimes Uh, as it pertains to our communication work. We are working on a communications plan. And that's the kind of thing that that's, you know, it's, it's sometimes inside baseball. uh, It would be very boring to share with people. What we have been doing is a series of focus groups, and I will say thanks to anybody that's listening that participated in some of those focus groups. Uh, but we have we have had such a wealth of just outstanding information. I have a report coming to me uh, probably by the end of the week or early next week that breaks down a lot of these focus groups and key messages. And you know, the, the end of the goal of a lot of these is you find out what what's value, and and it allows you to listen to people. And a key part of communications, people always forget about in any feedback loop is the listening part, right? You listen for, you you just don't go out there and preach it, right? You just don't go out there and yell. You don't go out there and complain. You have to listen. And so this has given us an excellent opportunity the past six months where we've been listening. We've been listening to ACB members, new members, longtime members, people that aren't familiar with us, uh, different marginalized, you know, communities of color, uh, points of we're talking about intersectionality. We've been listening a lot the past five, six months, and, and it's been exciting because you hear what's valuable, what resonates with people. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, you'll begin to, to hear the fruits of that just in the communications and messaging and, and the things that we'll be talking about uh, so that we make sure that we're talking in harmony and in tune with folks.
1: Excellent. Mr. Rick, I thought I heard a hand go up.
5: Yeah, phone number 2994, please.
4: Uh, yes, uh, this is Meryl Sector from Windsor Mill, Maryland. Hi, Tony. Hi, Paul. Rick. Hi, Meryl. Um, I am just so excited about all your accomplishments. And of course, um, being a J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow and also being the Vice President of the American Council of Blind of Maryland and also, the membership care of our, our chapter of the Central Maryland Council of Blind, I just feel it's so important to tell our story, and I believe that some of the donors that will be contributing, whether it's small or large sums of money, that we can cr- recruit in, into members, definitely, because membership is so important, and we need all the affiliates, no matter what state they're in, just to grow membership so that we can do more and then more fundraising can be done. And also to piggyback on what John said about Section 508, I was working at Social Security and I retired in 2017, January 3rd. I saw the handwriting on the wall and <clears throat> when things became less, less accessible, I said, I, I give up. I'm not dealing with this. But now, since I'm retired, I have all this time to devote to ACB, and thank you for being an advocate, Tony, inspiring me, and also I used to be the vice chair of our legislative committee for our chapter as well.
1: Good stuff. Thank you, Meryl.
4: You're welcome. Yeah, thanks so
2: much, Meryl. And oh, and for the welcome. work
1: you're doing in Maryland, you
2: know, I I... I, I get to reap the benefits of your labor as a, as a, you know, I live in Baltimore city.
4: Yeah, I know. And, uh, mm-hmm, so thank thanks you. to the
2: affiliate for, for all the work we're doing here. now that I'm slowly becoming an honorary, uh, Marylander, I guess. I guess I'm so happy. Marylander.
4: Thank yeah, you. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Excellent.
1: I think I heard another Marylander with her hand up. Yeah. Terry please. <laughs> yes. I think we're the
9: biggest, the busiest state tonight. Anyway. you are, um, Tony, I, just, I wanted to say a couple of things. One is I am so, so delighted that Tony is back working in the national office and doing such a great job with fundraising. And, you know, I think anybody that works in the national office also does some advocacy. And you are tops at, at both, I think. Um, I just, I'm just so pleased that you are back.
2: Thank you, Terry. My pleasure. And never, never says that kind of thing to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't live in Maryland. But actually, well,
9: That's actually, right. my next, my my next comment does kind of tie into you a little bit.
1: You are too much complaining, is- Paul. I know I do.
9: <laughs> actually, you you got it, Rick. <laughs> no, I'm um, um I think that one of the, something that we tend you you mentioned it earlier and it's something that we do tend to do an awful lot about is complaining and is fighting for something that, you know, We I think we need to know what we want and go after what it is that we actually want. When we idealistically say, uh, when we say idealistically, we want everything to be accessible at this theater. And then none of us show up at that theater. Right. Uh, that's, you know, it's it's kind of a black eye on us in in some regards, in some ways, yeah. um, that
1: kind that, of thing, and it applies and it but applies, and it applies think, to a lot of the things that we've gone after, Terry. So I think I think you're right yes. to raise it.
9: Yes, I think it it has applied to a lot of things. Um, I think the the other point that I wanted to make is that I hope with the blog um, that we be put out on there what an everyday life is for many blind people. You know, the idea of going to work, going, you know, raising a family, um, being involved in their community in something else that's totally non-blind related. As long as we keep making ourselves a separate group, we're defeating our own purpose, I believe.
1: And what do you mean by a separate group, Terry?
9: When we... When we spend all of our lives just dealing with blind people um, just dealing with with advocacy for uh, for things for the blind or low vision or visually impaired when we 're not focusing on the idea that when you walk down the street it's other people in your in the global community that you that are are among your neighbors um, other other people, if you're on a committee, yep. to an, encourage ourselves I get to be on yep. a committee in a city yep. or in a state or in a county, yep. that we're, we have other things besides, you know, we all got back, got into the thing years ago about being a person who was blind as opposed to a blind person. We need to sometimes focus, I think, a little bit more on the person
1: part not on than the, the blind part. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we
9: did that, it would show people that we really are people first.
1: I think, I think
2: you raise a really good point that we've had conversations even recently in some circles about, you know, uh, the, the the way we qualify ourselves, you know, what are, what qualifiers or how do we frame it? Or why don't we just say blind? I'm just blind, you know, Um, even now it's been decades. I I feel like this is an ongoing broken record of how do we qualify ourselves? But I, I think in a lot of ways, an excellent thing that was resonating with me recently with the whole COVID. My, my boys go to inner city school here in Baltimore City. They're public school. We're proud parents to send them in a, to a public school uh, in a city that's extremely diverse and and and, and hard yep. with a lot of issues. But we're in to commit. We know it's not going to change unless there's passionate parents that can change it. So we're active with the PTO. I'm the grant chair for the PTO, our kids' parent teacher organization. We have a new principal this year, and and it's a new principal that. Uh, came in after covid and we haven't had school in person so it dawned on me she's never met me she hasn't met palmer my guide dog you know she has no idea who i am as a person other than i am this sort of voiceless person in zoom meetings you know uh, or you know you know that, that she hears she's heard me but she hasn't met me she hasn't seen me so she knew nothing of my blindness until the other day, I had to sort of lob a complaint because the systems we're using in Baltimore are not all the way accessible <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it was a huge headache. Wasn't trying to complain, trying to be positive. Look, let's, how can we fix this together, you know? Uh, I work in the biz. I know how this stuff can be done. And so, you know, I reached out to her. But I think it was one of those moments of like, oh, I have a blind parent, you know, that kind of reality that I think I'm the only right. blind parent in our kid's school, um, which is ironic because I live like eight blocks from NFB. Uh, but you know, uh, that's a, another conversation. But you know, that is another uh,
5: conversation.
2: But you know, we you know have uh, you know the school, and I, I it not I'm a, I'm a dad first. I'm a I'm a parent. Yep. You know, I'm a I'm a Tony first. I'm a lover of jazz. Uh, I'm a lover of music and and literature and writing and all these other things that happens yep. to be someone who can't see right. Yep. And I yeah. think in a lot of ways. When we find ourselves not being afraid to do just what you were saying, to, to, if it's a PTO, if it's a neighborhood association, you know, if it's someone came up to me once and was so, I was so flattered, you know, they had all these wonderful things to say, a blind person that was coming out of college, had a master's degree, you know, someone who was very well educated, very well, all the good pedigrees to be an outstanding person in the competitive integrated workplace. And they kind of had that, you know, how can I do what you do? You know, you always meet people that I want to do what you do. You, you have such a cool job. And I said, you want to make change in blindness now? Go out there in the competitive integrator. We'll get a normal job so normal people can see you and get on a board for a local affiliate or a nonprofit that focuses on blindness or a center for independent living. You get on that board as a board of directors because they need, we need representation on boards. And we need people to, to run in these offices and, and not just for our blindness groups, but in a neighborhood association, like I said, or a transportation advisory committee in your local, like Wamada here in DC. I got to know Charlie Crawford by sitting next to him at Wamada, the advisory committee, him and Pat, she and both. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. was so inspired by people that I interacted with that had done so much before, you know, ahead of me and such inspiration where I was like, I want to be like that person. But you start realizing, uh, you know, the way that we really make changes isn't by necessarily walking in the exact same footsteps of somebody, but but taking what they do and inspiring and going out there and finding other places where you can put your flag in the sand and 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 begin to sort of chart your own and let people know you're there and they might not know you're a blind person even at the beginning, uh, especially now because we you know people just hear us as a as a voice off in the distance, like the Wizard of Oz. But, you know, behind the Which curtain, really right. kind
9: of levels the playing field, doesn't it? It
2: does a lot. A lot it does ways. a lot. And so, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, we're bringing in some people on this other, uh, this board I mentioned I was on earlier where we had a regatta. It's a, a small sailing center that does a, a accessible sailing as part of what they do. But we're constantly trying to find board members. When I was running a nonprofit, that had nothing to do with blindness here. It had to do with family advocacy. Advocacy in Baltimore City, uh, we were always looking for people on board. So, you know, what what community thing, What do you find interesting? And there's probably a board right. of directors out there that you could easily get on and and prove to people that hey, we are we are we can be influential leaders in our society, you know, and 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 sort of break down the mold of you know we're just going to be people that that take and complain.
1: Well, and and I think if blind people, if more folks who are blind start doing that, um, and and are successful at it, because most of us will be. Um, I think it 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 makes a tremendous difference in terms of the way that uh, the rest of society views us because I mean, I did a lot of that um, in the past i 'm not doing as much of it now, well, not down as much anyway um, well, but
2: we, I do want to address one thing, but finish with sure. to that yeah no go ahead well it, 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 is, it is something that we've we've had conversations on. With on our own, because we, we are in the inner city of Baltimore, which is has extreme sure. uh, disparities between communities right. of color in our town, uh, in our city. And the and, and this goes to, I think, as well, disability community as well. When we talk about the economic gap, um, yes. volunteerism is a luxury uh, that a lot of people can afford and a lot of people can't afford. Yes. So we need to think of ways, even on the most simple, it might just be a neighborhood association, an hour, a month, you maybe you can give but but how can we allow people um that that don't necessarily have that luxury to volunteer because of their economic situation how can we empower them to also have a spot in their community and it might be like i said like a pto or something simple like that that you know is a one hour a week if you can give one hour a week it's it's a start and it gets us out into the community into the larger community
1: do do we need to train blind people or I, i i mean train probably isn't the right word but but do we do we need to help blind people to overcome what may well be a fear of doing that sort of thing
2: i think one of the biggest barriers we talked about earlier was misconception and another big area is the psychosocial psycho socio psychological impact that blindness has on our community and right. when you're told no 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 you know no, no, always and always forever right for yeah. eternity yes then um then you find yourself uh, beginning to believe it. I mean, we have huge issues with self-esteem in our community. Right. We have huge issues in, in a lot of these ways, and that, that represents itself in the confidence. You ever meet someone that inspired you? Like, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fixated on Charlie maybe now, but just people you've, I've met, and, you know, you're just thinking about them a lot lately, that just inspire you. It's the confidence yeah, that has it, always inspired me. Right. <laughs> and, and in that sense, um, you know, how can we reinstill a sense of confidence? that might be the first step they take as a newly blind person out in the street. That's a confidence. Uh, it might be yep. a win. It might be a success. Right. How can we as, as an organization, as ACB uh, instill confidence into the lives of Americans who are blind and visually impaired. And I think in that sense, um, we can really help begin to battle one of the biggest other issues we face, not just misconceptions, but the psychological burden that weighs heavy on the overwhelming majority of people who are blind. My wife was low vision doctor for a lighthouse for a while. And we'd talk about people that had sat on their couch for a year and didn't even have a cane yet. So they'd gone by oh goodness. And just, you know, the, the amount of people that are out there, we don't even know we can reach yet. You know, those are the people we need to think about reaching as well as new members, friends of friends. Yes. But what about people that are even out there that we can just give some confidence to? And, and yep. as, you know, inspirational leaders in our community. I think that's, that's one of the great wins we can have coming out of COVID is, is the confidence factor.
5: Mm-hmm. Mr. Rick, Yeah, and I think our last call of the night is going to be Donna Browning. Donna?
10: Donna? Good good evening, Tony. I'm so glad to see you back. Thank you Mm -hmm. for coming back. I was so sad when you left, and I'm really excited to see you back, and I know that we're going to shine because of you. Um, I do want to say one of the things we definitely need to do, y'all might not agree, but from my experience um, out in the world and when I'm trying to advocate and everything else, we need to get our name out there more. So many people don't even know what ACB is and we need to get it out there so that we can fundraise more so that we can attract people more because then maybe people will know where to send the people who need us or if they become visually impaired or blind themselves, they'll know where to come. We need to get ourselves out there. Um, Don't you love probably
2: every affiliate leader has heard at a meeting, a board meeting we're the best kept secret.
0: Don't yeah. you love that
2: expression? Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, 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 you know, I'm excited to simply say, hold on, we're, we're getting there. We're excited okay. by, we're excited by the, the, what we're ramping up in for the later this year. We're excited for a major campaign. We're going to be, you know, seeking uh, major funding for going into next year. Um, areas around diabetes area around health and wellness areas and partnerships with our partners, um, things like with uh you know uh, the adp lists going around about um you know audio description and, and interest in the academy awards and and you know areas where uh you know uh, you know recognition like what what uh, Roy Samuelson was doing during our convention helping to get sure. the word out not just about acb but you know audio going back to what Brian kind of said at the beginning about, or not Brian was it um uh, blah, 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 uh, early on the question about uh, the audio description project right uh um, right uh, you know, the, the pressure around that John McKay, yeah. yeah. John. Yeah. Thanks. Um, you know uh, yeah, I know Brian would never say anything about audio description project, yeah. <laughs> but you know um, but yeah, we, you know, uh, we, we are, we are so well positioned and was so blessed with so many partners and people that have been championing us this year that, uh, that we're, I, I feel like in a lot of ways we're ready to fly with our message and we've been listening and now it's time for us to have our voice heard, which is why we specifically called the blog ACB Voices. You know, we, we're coming out of a listening period now since I've been here for six months, and I'm excited, and uh, we're we're looking forward to uh, making a commitment uh, to making sure that we are heard and and especially heard to people that have never heard of us before, because there I'm are millions and millions of Americans who are blind and visually impaired, and uh, and I'm excited by the opportunity of basically just having new friends to walk with us. Back to what we were talking about at the beginning. So yeah, so I'm I'm very excited. So I'm glad you're also equally excited. Hopefully. So thank
10: you. And uh, uh, the other thing, I w- when I was listening to you earlier, I heard a word that um, I want to go back on. You mentioned uh, normal. The word normal in what you were saying a little bit ago. Actually, I don't like that word because a lot of people think we aren't, and I think that's something we have to fight constantly. And I, I'm so happy that you encourage people to get out and work on your boards, your commissions, work in your schools, help people see. We're just yeah. as yeah. capable as you are. We can do everything you can do. We just do it maybe a little bit different, sometimes maybe even better. And show them that You go, Miss Donna. And show them that you – <laughs> are just as, quote, normal as they are. And I have to say that um, I was one of those people that you were speaking about who was afraid to get out and do that. But my job, I got to speak quite often to a person who was the chair for the board for commissions with persons with disabilities in my city, and he kept encouraging me. And at first Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it, but I finally did it. And I had him to help mentor me a little bit. But then that spilled over into ACB because then I started seeing a little bit of potential, but I still was a little scared, came into ACB, and ACB helped me. And now I'm a a lot more involved, and I'm so happy that I am. And I, I just want us to continue to grow. I don't want us to... I, I don't want us to go anywhere because ACB is so important to me in my life made me what I am, the person I am. It helped me accept who I was. And I'm so happy to see the people that are in charge now. I, I think we've got a good shot. And I'm so happy about that.
2: I'm excited by your encouragement and enthusiasm. and Thank you. And I think if anything can be said about 2020, I remember when 2020 first started, everyone was nervous about, will people just run into the ground, a year of vision and a year of, you know, all these cliches. Uh, I say this as a person who has never been really normal. I've always marched to the beat of a different drummer, you know, uh, but wow, 2020, none of us are normal. None, and I say this as a parent with kids and, and you know, school right. and everything. There's nothing normal about this year, which is fantastic because that's now normal. And I hate saying that word, the new normal. You know, we'll go back to life like it was before. But, you know, I think if anything this year is chosen is we all wear our unnormalness on our sleeves now. And it's it's a year when we're all going to come out of this and uh, we're going to embrace each other for what's made us different. Uh, and, and, and that's exciting, you know.
1: Tony, do you want to give your contact information once more before we disappear into the distance?
2: Yeah, feel free to reach me at A. Stevens. A-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. A for Anthony. So if I do something wrong, you can call me Anthony. So it's A. Stevens with a P-H at acb.org. Feel free to call our national office in Alexandria.
1: Thank you so much for being with us, Mr. Tony. I've had fun for the last two hours. Really appreciate your time. Next week, we'll be talking about the famous CVAA and the history of audio description with Joel Snyder. And I encourage all of you to participate with that. Two weeks, I'm hoping, we will be discussing a new survey which has just come out called Flattening Accessibility. Um, and I, I haven't quite firmed it up, but I'm expecting that that's what we'll be doing two weeks from now. I appreciate everybody who tunes into Tuesday Topics. And thank everyone for your time. Remember, the only way that we will be heard is if we speak out. Otherwise, silence is base metal. Good night.